You're dialed in to the Cut Banks Conversation, a podcast on hunting, fishing, and conservation in British Columbia. Okie dokie. Here we all are, the three of us, one more time around. Episode number 10. 10. 10. Already. Already. 10. Already. Right? From a, a, a bunch of random conversations with a couple of guys driving around hunting uh, to this. That's pretty cool, actually. Uh, and each episode you kind of get, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm a little awestruck that we got this far. I mean, we actually, uh, you know, we've got some good content. And the cool part is, for those of you that have been listening and kind of following along with Cutbanks conversations, the cool part is, is not only do we have 10 episodes in the can, we have got probably 20 episodes on the docket. So we got all kinds of content coming your way, lots of interesting guests and lots of subject matter around hunting fishing and conservation in british columbia uh so i don't know i'm feeling pretty good about what we accomplished here you guys we have a milestone to celebrate on what is that this weekend we crossed the two thousand subscriber mark across our platforms wowzers that's impressive that is super impressive that calls for a beer that calls for a beer and thank you to our friends who i don't know if they even know that we're doing this but (laughs) thanks to (laughs) this is like a this is what this is like an unpaid sponsorship i'm I'm sure the cashier knows yeah so but uh, thanks to the friend our friends at trench brewing for uh keeping us in liquid refreshments when we record these things cheers cheers Cheers. to 10 to to 10 and 2000 and trench brewing right on so um uh, a couple of things uh that we thought we, i guess let's just circle back around a little bit uh two cool episodes that we did uh the last two um we did one on the gun ban which i think uh has gone over really well uh i'm happy that we tackled that stevie thoughts on that one it's uh it's doing well um getting lots of good feedback out there in uh, the social media land people thanking us for for taking it on and 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 dumbing it down for the layperson that doesn't understand the ten thousand joules or the twenty millimeter, we we made it accessible to somebody that doesn't know guns to understand it a little bit more. So. Yep, and it was I thought it was really cool to get um, uh, Todd Doherty. It was great, for, and, and thanks again to Todd. Now, just for those of you that don't know, Todd Todd had to go to the hospital right after we were well right after we were recording. Uh, Todd ended up in the hospital uh, for a couple of days, so we hope he's on the mend. He's home and recovering well. And we thank him a lot for his uh, for his participation and his perspective. Uh, great job by uh, one of our uh, new members, Cassie Premack from KKS Tactical. She's uh, she was a bit of a she pistol. Kicked, she kicked ass. <laughs> <laughs> she kicked ass and laid it down for us. So a really really good episode. We got a. I think I think we covered a lot of ground on that one. So absolutely we did. Uh, and then uh, the one that's going to be coming up for download um, will be just before this one, and uh, that is our look at women in hunting. So our newest uh, our newest member Connor Borsa from Port Moody jumped on uh, with Maddie Starnes and Cassie, and we kind of. We, we, we covered that ground and another super interesting episode, uh, some surprising answers. Um, and some not so surprising. <laughs> and some not so surprising, right? Uh, but that was a lot of fun. It was a, that was a really, really interesting discussion. Um, in the preamble to before we recorded that, uh, a couple of nights before I actually ran the, the Q&A past my wife while we were sitting on the deck to get her perspective. Now, my wife's not a hunter, but I thought, you know, I wanted to push around the idea of, of kind of where I wanted to go with the, with the questions and kind of get her perspective. But it was interesting, even as a non-hunter, my wife was had a lot of alignment with a lot of the things that they talked about. So uh, I thought it was really, really cool. Um, so a couple things just to, to foreshadow a little bit. We're good tonight. Today we're going to be on the, the phone with, with uh, Dana and Darcy White. 
Uh, not not of the UFC. Not of the UFC. Uh, the hosts of Fatal Impact on do- Outdoors on uh, Sportsman's Channel. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about their journey into television. Um, but uh, looking ahead on the docket, we've got a couple of interesting uh, episodes coming up. We're going to have President Chad Day of the Teltan First Nation to come on and talk a little bit about uh, his perspective uh, on wildlife management in their traditional territory. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the reconciliation process and a whole lot about grizzly bears. Oh, yeah. There'll be a whole lot about grizzly bears. He's a great one to chat with in general when you get him going about grizzlies. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we're looking forward to a really, really good discussion with him. Uh, and we've got another episode coming up called Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, a look at moose management. Uh, we've got Professor Roy Ree from the University of Northern British Columbia who specializes in uh, in moose, in uh, ecology, and looking at uh, the effects of uh, uh, vehicles uh accidents on uh, wildlife populations. So that'll be a really good discussion. Some of you may have heard of uh, Robert Soroya. He's probably one of yep. the most uh, quoted, uh, I mean, Western Canadian scientists from University of Alberta. Uh, he does a lot on predator-prey dynamics, uh, a lot on ungulates, a lot on caribou. So we'll be having a discussion uh, with him about uh, all of those good things. So those are just three of a few. And then we have got a, a gear junkie one coming up. That's, that's going to be a fun one. That's going to be fun. So we've got uh, we've got uh, Omer from Precision Optics, who you who you know because we're we're always talking about Omer. Uh, we have got uh, Chad Saint Amon from Black Pine Creative, who uh, makes uh, custom uh, fly rods. Uh, we got Tanner Danish from Frontiersman Gear, a custom knife maker, and we have Pete Munich of Stone Glacier uh, coming on the podcast. So we're super excited to have uh, have all of them on, and we're going to talk a little bit about that hunting gear culture, which I'm sure if any of you are like me, uh, gear is the thing that if next to the hunting part, it's the gear that moves our world around. So anyway, a few episodes that we have coming up, and a whole lot more. Uh, we are going to take a quick pause. When Speak- are we going to talk about how hot it is? Oh, yeah, I guess. Oh, we my should- God. <laughs> Not only how hot it is, but finally, for fuck's sakes, we've got some hot weather. I just, I cannot believe how starved I was. You get an idea how hot it is? You're wearing shorts. Yeah, I'm wearing shorts. Like, seriously, those things those things haven't seen the sun in what? Since <laughs> Namibia. Right? Namibia. My, my wife and I went, I don't know, Stevie, you were up at Ancient Forest this weekend. Right? I was, yeah. yeah. How was that? It was uh, buggy. Buggy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Higher yeah. up you got, the, the more the, mosquitoes you got. The worse it got. Maddie, what about you? Oh, had our uh, first fire of the year, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, first time that we actually had a, uh, a clear night, and we were able to get our act together and finally have a fire in the fire pits. So oh, I thought you were looking for an alibi. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Marie and I got a chance to do a little bit of yard work that we've been uh, waiting and waiting and waiting on, and then a chance to go soak in the Salmon River. So how he, uh, you were saying that the par- how busy was the parking lot at Ancient Forest? It was nuts. It was absolutely nuts. Uh, there's three levels to it almost, and right. two and a half were full. So for those of you that don't know, Ancient Forest is about a, just over an hour to get out hour. of town. Um, but it's between here and Jasper. And I mean, it's it's a little bit off the beaten path. So f- to have that kind of traction, you can tell how, I mean, uh, that'll be a little bit of local traffic, but it'll be, you said there's plates from everywhere. There's plates from Nova Scotia. So um, yeah. yeah, take that for what you will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a really cool place to go, but uh, it could tell, it, we have been so starved for nice weather. Uh, in the PG area. It was nuts. It, it was nuts. And it was honestly, it was great to get out. I was tempted to do some fishing on uh, on Sunday, but it was just super nice to sit in the river and just soak with a cold drink and just chat with my wife and actually spend some downtime. So it was awesome. Absolutely. Anyway, now we will take a pause. As Speaking of our friend Omer at Precision Optics, uh, we're going to take a little pause. And, and put on some bug spray. And put on some bug spray. Cheers. Cheers. 
You know what I like almost as much as going hunting? Hunting for gear. And there's lots of places you can shop and there's lots of products you can choose from. But one of my favorite places to consider when I'm in the market is with my friend, Omer down at Precision Optics in Quinell, British Columbia. So he's got this great little uh, gun store tucked in the side of Aroma Foods. He's an absolutely awesome, awesome dude to talk to. Uh, so let's say uh, you are in the market market for you know one of the new uh, hot what's happening kind of rifles like the new Weatherby Ti or the Savage Ultra like 110 with that uh, new proof barrel that they put on there. Or maybe like me, you're in the market for a backpack. I just picked up a new Stone Glacier 5900 R3 and uh, I got it from Omer. He's got lots of that stuff in stock. Um, maybe that goat or sheep hunt that's coming up, time to upgrade the optics and get a new rifle scope or spotting scope. So maybe you want Night Force or Swarovski or Leupold. Omer's got a little bit of everything. What I'll tell you what he has a whole pile of, other than great merchandise. He's got a lot of experience on mountaintops all around BC hunting for goats and sheeps and other critters. And he has put all of the gear that he sells, he puts uh, to the test uh, in mountain hunting scenarios every single year. He's a kick-ass hunter, a dynamite supporter of conservation initiatives, Wild Sheep Society, absolutely loves him, as do we, because he puts his money where his mouth is, and he puts money towards conservation, supporting a number of events every single year. So um, there are lots of great businesses all around BC. Omer just happens to be one of my favorite people to do business with in the outdoor space. So if you are looking for something in a in a rifle, in optics, in uh, you know gear, whatever it is, whatever it is that you're, you're you're thinking of, or if you just have questions, he's there to answer them all. So take advantage of a great facility with with somebody with a lot of great wisdom to apply and help you make a really really good decision. So precisionoptics.net on the interweb. Tell Omer we sent you, and uh, he'll give you nothing but a lot of great advice. <laughs> All right, we are here with Darcy and Dana White from Fatal Impact Outdoors. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. Thank you guys for having us. Well, thanks for being on the show. We super appreciate it. So uh, tell everybody, if they don't know, where is home for you folks? We are in this, just in the country by a small town called Glendon, so uh, northeastern Alberta, near Bonneville, St. Paul. Those are some of the towns near us. Okay. So how far from oh, Whopping. What's that? Oh, there's about a, a whole whopping population of about 250 people in yeah. town. It's just yeah. a little little village. So yeah, you're more actually, you're more than a whoop and a holler from Calgary, then, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the small town we grew up in and went to high school in has the world's largest proby, actually. Oh yes, I know. I know <laughs> that town. That there's the claim. That's to our, <laughs> our claim yeah. to fame. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're about two and a half hours northeast of Edmonton. So okay. Five five and a half north of Calgary. So that terrain, just uh, just out of curiosity, before we get going uh, and start asking you all about it, that terrain is mostly is that a lot of cropland? Is that is that forest, uh, boreal forest? What is that? Uh, we're basically forest fringe. So right where our house is and right in Glendon, you've got mostly farmland. There's a lot of big farmers in the area. But if we head north, um, fifteen minutes, we hit Highway fifty five, and then from there, it's essentially bush all the way up to the trees run out in the Arctic or wherever they just peter out. It's, it's forced all the way up oh, wow. from okay. there. So, so I'm going to so. suggest there's some probably some pretty good hunting up where you guys are. 
There can be certain areas, yeah. <laughs> nice answer. There can Way to be. push everybody towards them, don't Yeah, me? exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the issue that we face here is actually just not a lot of diversity in species. We, we don't have too many to choose from. So it's mostly just bush. So there's whitetail and, and black bear and the odd moose kicking around. But other than that, we pretty much travel for everything. So let's speak it. So here in BC, um, we got a whole bunch of stuff going on. So now you're you know, August first. You start the the Great March into the northern latitudes. Although there'll be a little bit guy, some guys south, if they're lucky enough. Uh, so it, it's starting to be sheep and goat season here. What about so where let, let's let's start a little bit before we get into the the journey. What are you guys getting ready for? So you guys are coming up on season number eight. Is that you're starting to record? Yeah, so we actually started filming season eight this spring with bear season. With bear season, and that's it. Is that is it Door or Dory River? Uh, Dory River Outfitters was a camp that we had been associated with for a number of years. We kind of helped them get off the ground, but we since then they've booked right up and we filled the camp with clients, and so we just kind of ride the sidelines on that now. So we haven't actually been up there for. Oh, this be our Two years, I think. second spring since we've been up there. It's booked full of full of clients so we'll see you guys did your job absolutely that, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty good well done so does that mean your bear hunting season uh the last couple of years is in B- has been in alberta then yeah just around home in alberta it always really primarily was like even when we were working with story it was we would still always focus in alberta and if we had a chance to go over and, and hunt in saskatchewan it was a bonus to us so it was never really counted on Okay, that's super cool. So yeah, you've been so you filmed your your spring season, and a couple of nice bears were taken. Uh, did everybody tag out? No, we killed two bears this spring, and then we chased a couple others that we knew we likely weren't going to kill. But because we already had the two on the ground and we had some really good footage, we just wanted to focus on a couple really special bears. And if we got them, great. But if not, I mean, we weren't really not disappointed in it either. It was a successful season either way. Because I remember, I, was there, I think there was a couple of posts from you where you basically said, this is the bear that you had on your trail mm-hmm. cam. You said, if it isn't this, it isn't anything. Is that kind of the way that shook out for you? Yeah. Once they tagged out on those two bears, Corey and Matt, we essentially shut everything else down and focused all of our attention on the one bait, on one particular bear. And he's definitely the hardest bear that we've ever to kill as far as this consistency goes and we knew the odds were against us but we focused on him and he did not slip up unfortunately <laughs> so sorry for your disappointment so okay <laughs> <laughs> we spent a lot of nights in the stand and stands and saw a lot of stuff but we could have killed a couple in. we could have killed a couple really good berries while sitting there but you know it, it just we made up our minds that it was going to be him or nothing, and we stuck to it. And I'm not disappointed in it. I'm totally okay with the outcome. So, but just on that, that that's an, that's interesting because you're filming a TV show, right? And I mean, part of that content requires. I mean, I, I guess you've got a couple of bears on the ground. But one of the things now, for those of you that don't know, uh, Dana and I, uh, Dana and I met um, uh, through a mutual friend of ours, Dan Martichuk, who's been on uh, I think a couple of episodes now. But yeah. um I, w- one of the things I know about uh, about you is that you're, you play the role of you know cameraman producer. You're one of the hosts. You, um, but I, it's it. I'm surprised that you would say, you know, let's not get anything. I'll just let the other people you know be the star of the show on this particular episode, and then you play the role of cameraman. So mm-hmm. h- how is it that you that you fall? Are you okay with that? Like, are you okay when like? 
Has there been a season in seven in, in seven years? I already know the answer. But there been a <laughs> has there been a season in seven years where Dana, you've said, you know what, it's about everybody else and not me. Um, honestly, I would say that's kind of my mantra for every season. Like, I don't ever go into a hunting season expecting to have a lot of time to hunt for myself or or being able to focus on my own hunting. It's always been about helping others and and mostly focusing on the filming and and producing the show i've just been extremely fortunate that you know when i do get an opportunity to hunt things usually just kind of go my way and and so i i can (laughs) that way you know i've i've been along where darcy or other people have hunted for weeks and weeks and you know they finally tagged out and i would get two days to hunt and in those two days you know the deer that i'd be after would step out and it would just be a, a blessing in disguise for me right so i feel like i earn it I earn it in other ways by spending my time and putting my time in with them but when i actually have bow in hand or rifle in hand i've been very fortunate the last couple of years that is super, it's yeah, a super go ahead darcy uh, let's just say Dana usually puts everyone else first when he's hunting. So if you're ever hunting with Dana, you'll most likely be able to hunt. <laughs> well, <laughs> That's pretty much the way it goes. Well, let's go, Dana. I'm in. <laughs> you're in. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, let's 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 uh, in the words of Julie Andrews, let's start at the very beginning. Um, a very good place to start. So let's go back. Uh, how long ago did this? Uh, well, first of all, do you you you're you're both from Glendon, right? Yep. So born, born, bred, and raised? Yes, both out in the country. I was just a couple miles out of town, and she was... Not too far away. Yeah, 15 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> just, just a hoot and a holler away, I think. Is with, a whoop and a holler. A, a whoop and a holler? Yeah, a hoot and a holler. Is that, it, that's for people in Red Deer. A, a whoop and a holler is Glendon. So um, <laughs> so, so for you guys, you, you grew up in the country. Are you guys from farming uh, farming families? Yeah, both. My family still farms, and Dana's parents don't farm anymore. But um, yet, we both grew up from with farming families. And when I was about, I want to say eleven or twelve, just when I was getting old enough to actually start helping out on the farm, my dad actually sold out and started up an oil field company. And I mean, we're kind of in what a lot of people refer to as Mini Fort McMurray here, or it used to be. It's kind of a ghost town now. But uh, back, you know, in the early two thousand. 10 or even or I would say 2005 it was a massive oil field boom out here and I mean you couldn't couldn't get a hotel room you couldn't get nothing anywhere everything was sold right out and the work was incredible so my dad kind of capitalized on that started up an oil field company and and so he transitioned away from the farming at when I was still at a fairly young age so it it can us so so uh hunting uh hunting and fishing are part of both of your family's backgrounds yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Darcy, for quite a few generations. Well, pardon? Say say that again. For quite a few generations too. Like my grandparents, we still do a lot of stuff with them, and they they enjoy their fishing and hunting. And my grandpa is just over seventy now, and he still tries to get out hunting every year. And and they've all taught us a lot over the years. So, Darcy, do you have siblings as well? I do. Yeah, I'm the eldest of the family, but I do have a younger brother and a younger sister as well. And they're both hunter-angler types? Yeah, yeah, they both enjoy it as well. We try to get them out with us as much as we can, too, but even on their own, they do do what they can with, by themselves, and they enjoy it. So That's super cool. And then, Dana, how, how many siblings? Well, I know for sure, is it just Corey? Yeah, it was just Corey and I. Okay. 
So you you guys grow up around hunting and fishing, so you come by it honestly. You're not like some of us, like adult onset hunters. So you you come by it honestly. At what point? So let's talk about uh, the genesis, the genesis story for Fatal Impact. What is the thing that makes you go from, hey, it's fun going out and hunting and fishing, to uh, let's start a hunting show? What started all of that? Well, when we were, um. I think I was 15 and Dana was 16. Dana just got his driver's license finally. And we started <laughs> bear baiting together. <laughs> That's what we started doing together for hunting. We, we started bear baiting together. Were you, were you guys and dating we, back then? Bear baiting. No, I, I know they said bear baiting. <laughs> but were you guys dating back then? Yeah, for quite a few years already. That's why she said finally got my driver's license because oh. we've been dating for a bunch of years before that. Oh, like, right. At, so you're at 16, you were dating for a bunch of years? You guys are better wow. than high school sweethearts. Like, holy cow. So, okay, so... Almost oh. elementary. <laughs> so, you, so okay. So, you guys, so you, so you start bear hunting together, and you're, you're, so you're baiting bears, and, and then uh, continue the story? We did that for a couple of years before we started filming. So we would just go out and we had a lot of fun. We had a couple of friends that we did it with and made lots of memories with that. And then we we kind of just got our first camera and took it out to the bear stand. It was the spring right before, so I guess it was my graduation year. I was turned, what, it turned 18. And I remember we had just gotten Wild TV. I had convinced my mom to order it and I started actually watching some different shows on there and, and realizing that there's people out here that do this for a living and and i just thought it was really neat so that spring i went out on ebay and bought a cheap little 200 dollars handy cam and we went out and said we were going to start filming stuff we never really had any dreams of being on tv i guess you could call it a dream but we didn't really know that you could actually do it or you know we didn't have any skills or any training in it it was just a matter of go out there and film something for fun and we went out that spring and filmed a pretty neat little bear hunt that was I mean slightly controversial but it turned out <laughs> all right <laughs> what isn't <laughs> what bear hunt isn't controversial so a, a controversial bear hunt okay yeah and so the bear ended up climbing up our tree and uh, I was filming no my buddy was I was filming yeah and, and our our friend and myself were sitting in a tree stand below Dana and the bear climbed the tree it was no small bear it was a very large bear actually we didn't realize at that time how big he actually was um but yeah he was quite large and then he climbed up the tree and he was right beside my foot and um dana had said shoo but our friend who had the gun ready because they weren't sure what the bear was going to do thought dana said shoot and said what the hunt (laughs) so i said shoo as like to try and go away like shoo bear go away because I wanted him to go down the tree and as soon as I said it and then the, the gun went off and I was like whoa and so then we got on film and then I remember zooming out and turning to my buddy and I was like why did you shoot him and he's like you told me to and I was like no but then we listened to it after and then you can hear me say like shoot I was just trying to get the bear to go down the tree and oh my so god kind of, so it was a miscommunication at the very beginning but I mean it, it was a giant giant bear and like it was literally like at a foot and a half away it was literally at the base of the tree and or at the base of the tree stand and it, it was it, it turned out cool but i mean we wouldn't do it again <laughs> yeah. 
So, yeah, that was kind of our first video because then we, after that happened, Dana edited up a, a little short clip about our bear hunt, and that's kind of the first video we started sharing around. So you guys put that up on YouTube at the time? Or? Yeah, it's still on there, I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's still on there. Not oh, my wow. proudest work, but it's still there. Yeah. So then, we okay. We have our old police camo and all kinds of good stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. We've come a long way. Gear, so, gear is Don's thing, so he's going to be looking for this. You know yeah, that. Yeah, 100%. So, <laughs> yeah. so you got... I think it's called Spring Bear Hunt, if you or Spring Bear Hunt 20, what, 2012? Or Incredible 20, Spring oh. Bear Hunt 2011. All right, well, or we're going to find it. Matt's going to find it. We're <laughs> going to put it up on the Cutbanks conversation just so everybody can see that. That'll be awesome. I'm on it right now. Um, okay, so you, you shoot this bear... So you shoot this bear hunt, and you, you have a camera, and it's like, okay, so that was fun. So what? But so what, what's the thought process then? So you know, I'll just share these around with some of our friends, and you know, hopefully, you know, they'll find it. As, like, was it just? Were you doing it for you know, just to amongst your hunting community and some of your friends and family, or were you starting to sort of shape or cultivate the idea that you know perhaps you know this could be a thing, even if it was just a part-time thing? What I ended up doing with it was I actually sent it to the the folks at Wild TV at the time, and they had reached out and really liked what it was and, and how it was put together. And, and apparently they were looking at hiring somebody at that time or expanding their team. And so they had reached back out to me and essentially offered me a job to work for them. So I went in and did some interviews with them. And, and at that point, it kind of set in that, you know, maybe what we're doing has some potential. If Wild TV is willing to look at it, then, you know, maybe others would be willing to look at it. So then I also got in contact with a few others. Um, Cody Robbins was a big influence in it. I reached out to him and he kind of helped me through some stuff. And so I sent it to as many as I can. Jason Peterson was another one that I sent it to and, and he'd offered to do some stuff with us. And so at that point, I kind of realized that, you know, maybe we were kind of onto something. And so we had to make the decision of whether I wanted to go work for somebody else or if we just kind of buckled down and, and tried to do our own thing and I mean anybody that knows me probably knows that I prefer to work for myself or by myself I'm not a real huge people person and I kind of like doing my own thing and so it just naturally the idea of doing our own show was a lot more appealing to us so that was we made the decision we didn't have a single clue how we were going to do it we didn't have any sponsors we didn't have any of the camera equipment, obviously the little $200 Handycam wasn't going to film a TV series for us. And we just did a whole pile of research and, and we basically said we were going to do it and we committed to it. And that's all we went out and started filming. And it was interesting because we were very shy in front of the camera. And I remember in some of our first video work that we did, we used to have so many takes. We would, we would try to explain something to the camera and we, it was hard because we were very camera shy. None of us like the idea of being on camera. Like anybody who knew <laughs> so, us. So you're up, a natural fit for hot, like for hunting television. Then I hate being in front we were, of the camera. <laughs> they were all very shy. <laughs> hockey, hockey all star. That's quite the bear. Oh yeah, that was. <laughs> That's I quite the bear. Up, yeah. <laughs> I started that channel when I was probably about fourteen. When I still had dreams and aspirations of being a hockey player, <laughs> like the rest of us from small town Canada, anywhere in Canada. So you, uh, so, okay, so you, you film it, so you, you, you film this thing, and how old are you at the time? I'd have been 18. 
So, Sorry, would have been 17. so you, you guys aren't even, I mean, you're not even legally old enough to vote yet and you're, you're barely out of high school and you, so you, you out, out, out <laughs> of filming, <clears throat> you buy a camera, you film one thing, you send it away, you immediately get a hit back saying, Hey, you're pretty good at this. Like, like how, what did you edit together? Like, what were you using? You edited it on your phone or what, like, what, like, what did you do? Like, I mean, so you film this thing on a, on a cheap camera like that has to be a pretty freaking amazing piece of editing to send it off to. It's either that, and I mean, I don't mean this negatively, but it's either that they were just <laughs> they were they were just dying for somebody else to come on the program, right? But I mean, that's pretty awesome that you guys send it out to. You get a couple of hits right away, and then not only that, you take some of the the, the people that were sort of the early stars of Wild TV with Cody Robbins, you know, who worked for Shockey, and you get Jason Peterson. Uh, you get a couple of guys that have been doing it for a little bit, and they're like, hey, yeah, yeah, it sounds like what you're doing is pretty cool. And then they want to give you a hand. Like, that's got to feel pretty cool. It was definitely a little bit surreal, yeah. That was, you know, we weren't expecting that, and it kind of, I used to always equate, especially when we were that age, ever making it onto TV and, and being able to do it for a job was the equivalent of, you know, making the NHL in hockey. Every kid wants to grow up and do it, but the ones that actually ever make it are very few and far between, and it's not even really realistic to essentially go after it, right? And so when I actually started talking to these people and, and realizing that, you know, maybe we are somewhat sort of decent at this, or we have some potential at least, we're pretty rough around the edges, but we there must have been something in there that people enjoyed or that they could see potential in. That's when it started to, to set in and and it was a, a big confidence boost for us but at the same time I wasn't very confident in the work that we were putting out I mean I knew I really had no knowledge of it I didn't know what I was doing I'd never been on a computer editing software before in my life um you know I, I was not confident that I could spit out 13 episodes <laughs> come the next year right I, I was terrified of that but I was willing to try okay yeah, so the first that first video that Dana edited was just on his MacBook Pro laptop, and I remember him editing it in our biology class that we shared in high chemistry. school. <laughs> oh, chemistry. Okay. Because I was a, a chemistry whiz, and I was the easiest class I ever took, and I, I had an agreement with uh, the teacher that as long as I kept my marks off and as long as I didn't bother anybody else, she would let me sit in the back of the room and not take notes and work on my computer. That, and that's that, why I we edited my... <laughs> we might have had the same teachers, even though I was never near that. They just wanted me in the back shutting up. <laughs> <laughs> Keep in mind, we're from a small school. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't fly in the city. So okay, so but but that like just just listening to you talk about that. So what one piece of like how long is this piece of footage? Is it three minutes or six minutes or how long is it? Uh, five minutes and nineteen seconds. Just saying. Yeah, remember. Yeah. Five minutes and nineteen seconds. So you got five minutes and nineteen <laughs> seconds of quality footage shot on a two hundred dollar camera and edited in a chemistry classroom somewhere between <laughs> somewhere between notes and recess and then you send that off to uh, an upstart network and then somebody says hey these guys are pretty good and then you get a call from cody robert like so did they email you was it was it cody and jason or did you reach out to them or they reached out to you i reached out to them oh wow so i reached out to them sent them a link to it just wanted feedback and just wanted to know their thoughts on it and and i mean i'm sure a lot of it was just them um, being nice and, and you know, it's all part of it when somebody reaches out you're never going to tell them that what they're doing is awful right <laughs> crush their dreams yes <laughs> you're not going to crush their dreams right and so is the young kids sending a video in yeah you're going to give them confidence boost 
I actually, I firmly remember, so I sent the email to Cody with a link, and I had never expected any kind of a response. And I remember laying in bed the next morning or the morning after, and my mom coming into the room with the phone and handing me the phone because I had asked in the email for him to give me a call back if he had a chance so we could talk about it or whatever. And, and I couldn't believe that when I actually answered the phone, it was Cody and he had actually returned my call. And, and I was pretty much starstruck at that point. I couldn't believe that I was actually talking to somebody that I looked up to so much and, and you know, someone that took the time to actually return a, a phone call. Yeah, no kidding. pretty starstruck for me. Uh, so... So then he calls you and, and basically, what, is, what does he tell you? Like, you're on the right path? Like, what, what does that conversation sound like? Yeah, essentially just kind of told me that he liked what we were doing and, and he was always very, very encouraging. Um, he still is to this day. Cody and I are fairly close. We talk quite often and every time I talk to him, he's always very encouraging. He's very kind and he's always good to, to give you a kick in the ass if you need one and, and keep you on the right track and... So it's, uh, it was pretty much the same kind of conversation as what we have now. It, it was very positive and uplifting and encouraging. And, you know, I left that conversation feeling a lot better about myself and feeling like we might actually be able to do it because here I am talking to someone who essentially has done it and has made it. And when they're sitting there telling you that, you know, if you keep doing what you're doing, you might be able to as well. That's kind of what made up my mind that we were going to really do it. So, that, try. so you, so at what point, so uh, at, at this point is wild TV said, Hey, listen, if I mean, the, I, I know that there's, there's going to be some stipulations, but does wild TV say, Hey, you know, we'll give you 13 episodes or does wild TV say film an episode, send it to us. We'll tell you what we think. And then you can get greenlit. Like what, what's that process look like? So initially what it actually was, is I went in and did an interview with Wild TV that summer and they were offering me a job to come as the cameraman slash partial editor for the edge in that fall. Oh, and wow. so I was going to just work and they were going to train me and teach me to essentially be a Wild TV employee. And, and I would be working on the edge, not in front of the camera. It was going to be strictly behind the camera, just as the camera and, and editor. And, and so, yeah, I had essentially accepted the agreement with them and, then I kind of reneged on the contract and changed my mind after talking to a few more people and kind of realizing that maybe we want, we want to do our own thing. So when, and when you thought your own thing, your own thing on wild TV, the people you just reneged on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It probably wasn't the smartest idea. On that part, but. So, so somebody, so you had, you know, friends or family or, or somebody that just said, well, why don't you guys try doing this on your own? It was always the end goal, I think. Like like I said at the beginning, we, I've never been someone... I, I always grew up wanting to be my own boss. I always wanted to work for myself. I knew that I would never enjoy life working for somebody else or working under somebody else. And I just wanted to have my own company. And So even when I had initially accepted the job working for Wild TV, it was always just going to be a stepping stone. It was going to be a matter of you know something to get my foot in the door, learn as much as I can, and then you know eventually kind of go out on my own, which seems to be exactly what happens with 90% of the cameramen in the industry, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, yep. yep. a whole bunch of Yeah, it happened all the time. And, and that was, I was no different at that point. That was my plan. So, so Darcy, you guys are, I mean, you've been dating since you guys were 
maybe just in diapers, it sounds like, but so you guys have been dating all this time and then somebody who you obviously you're, you're significantly involved and then you film a hunt and then are you guys in this, is this journey something you've always been in together or was this, you know, Dana's thing and you said, Hey, I'll support you. And if I can, you know, be around to help, I will. But did you, did you want to be part of this or did you have other aspirations for yourself? Uh, yeah, we kind of built it together, I'd say, because we started hunting together before we even started filming together. So it was something that we kind of grew up together doing and already enjoying and enjoying the experiences and memories we were making together and stuff. So yeah, it just kind of evolved, I guess. We, we did it together and then we started filming and then it was kind of just our dream together, I guess. We always kind of figured everything out together. We made a, a really good team our whole life growing up. And I mean, the way that our parents and grandparents grew up hunting and, and what we were taught as kids growing up hunting, you know, it's a far cry from the way that we hunt now, right? Obviously things have changed and evolved and styles of hunting have changed. And, and so we had learned the basics of hunting and the basics of conservation from our parents and, and our grandparents. But once we got into archery, we had, Nobody had taught us anything about archery. We completely self-taught ourselves that, and that completely changed how we hunt. And, and so we essentially had to figure it all out on our own, but we did it together. And so as everything evolved and as the idea of the show came around, you know, it was never really up for discussion. If we were going to do it, it was going to be done together, and I wouldn't have wanted to do it without her. So you grew up hunting. Uh, you, you did everything together, and you, you said that your family hunted. And, and uh, just just curious, how did your family take to the, the thought that you wanted to pursue this as a career? I think they both questioned it at first. <laughs> They're probably both thinking, like, okay, they definitely, just a dream. Yeah. What are you guys doing? <laughs> or this won't last or something, probably. But We're both very fortunate to grow up in very loving, caring families, and they were always very supportive, and, you know, obviously, if, we said we wanted to do anything in the world, they would have tried to support us or at least told us that they did and, and wouldn't let us know otherwise. And, um, but I mean, we definitely, they didn't hand anything to us. We, we worked for it and we built it up and you know, they supported us where they could, but it's not like they just wrote us a big check and bought us a hundred thousand dollars with a camera. Cause it was, you know, we'll support you and we'll, we'll help you out where we can, but it's, if you're going to make it, you're going to do it on your own, right? So I'm just curious, it kind of feathering into what Steve just said. So you, you start this journey and you guys are like, okay, hey, just so you know, like uh, we, <laughs> we, we filmed this five-minute hunt and uh, I got offered a really good job on a, on a TV show with absolutely no experience, by the way. Uh, and I turned it down, but here's the better news. I'm going to start my own TV show and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> did, your, did your parents not say, like, what's the plan B? Like, was there a, did they say like, like, Hey, I really appreciate your moxie and I know you're, you, you kind of like to do the solo thing, but is there a plan B here? Have we ever had a plan B? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I guess that I had going for me was, well, both of us, we both had really, really strong marks. And so my parents knew that, you know, if I, this didn't work out in a year or two, I could essentially apply for anything I wanted in college or university and go in and get a degree and. Um, Darcy finished she was a valedictorian in her class and I was I think the second right behind the valedictorian oh, wow. line. <laughs> so 
you're both so so you're so you're both in the in the words of what what, is, what do they say in you know wicked smart so you're wicked smart in the world of goodwill hunting <laughs> but so so now you guys now so now you've got this opportunity in front of you so um so you said no to wild tv you don't you, you've decided no backup plan so what's the next step then it's like okay so how do we so now the, to the question for, for me and anybody listening is, okay, so how do you go from there to let's get 13 episodes in the can and how am I going to produce this when I've only ever done this? I've done five minutes of film. <laughs> what was your first, I think where Donnie's going with this is what was your first step? What said I'm jumping off the dri- the diving board, both feet. I guess one of the first things we had to do is we, we decided we were going to do a show and then we had to figure out a name for it. So we brainstormed a long time for a name. Okay, that let's, let's really talk about that. How did how did you come up with the name? Yeah, who gets credit? I don't even know what that process was. It was, was just like, a lot of know. brainstorming and and we never really had many good alternatives. It was kind of the only one that Do stuck you, out and I don't even Can you give us an example of one that didn't yeah, quite make the, the cut? Yeah, give us the shit names. What are the shit names? Like the- Oh, um, I can get into this, but he's never going to be allowed to be aired again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think now. Um, um there was something there was something else impact. We, we kind of liked the, the impact side of it right from the start. Um, oh, I think we had one was called like fatal attraction. I think, wasn't it? Was I believe like that's that? trademarked, but I go think. ahead. <laughs> yeah. That was for sure afterwards. Yeah. Um, maybe fatal pursuit might've been one of them. There was something with impact too. Um, it's hard to remember now. It's one of those things. As soon as you name something, you don't, you don't remember the rest of them. Yeah. I honestly couldn't tell you what the other, like not not work. Dana and Darcy's excellent adventure, nothing like that. No. I, that no. I'd be <laughs> all over watching that one because there's like a, 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 a third one coming out. Sorry, Bill and Ted, but we're going on a tangent there. Continue. No tangent, Steve. Okay, so so you guys you get locked down. So it's like okay, because uh, I get this when we do when we do episodes when I do episode notes, I have to come up with a title first or I cannot write it. Because I, 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 my the questions don't come out until I get a, some kind of a title, and then once I get a title, I'm like, okay, now I can do everything. Underneath. Yeah, we got an episode coming up that I just threw a title out randomly, and we built an episode around. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so you got the you got a kick ass title for for okay, this we're going to be Fatal Impact Outdoors. Okay, so so then what comes next? And then it was a matter of finding out what kind of camera gear we needed, and so again, that's where Cody played a big role. He helped us out. Right? them about the audio stuff that they were using the different camera gears they were using and we went out and essentially bought the same stuff that he was using and at the time it was a brand new canon xf100 and just a regular sennheiser wireless mic and a shotgun mic and and we thought we were pretty well set up for it and so and that, once we had that it was just preparation for the season Okay, so then you've got... We how to use the camera. Yeah, that was the hard part. We had no idea. Yeah. We got this big fancy camera and all we could knew, all we knew was how to turn it on and hit record. <laughs> <laughs> no settings, no nothing. We had a podcast, uh, what, about a month ago with TJ Schwanke? And, yep. and he, we asked if there was one takeaway he had. He said, audio, audio, well, audio. audio. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, that's what we know about this. And, and, and what was interesting is TJ was saying, like when he was getting started, I mean, he said some of these cameras were like thirty five, forty thousand dollars that he was using in the early days. And so, what kind of budget? What, what like you're, you're you obviously did this on a shoestring budget, like you said. Your parents didn't say, "Here's a hundred grand, go make a TV show." So, so what like what did you guys start with? Was there work, like you said, okay, I've got a I got to film it, but then you've also got no income, right? We were always, so I had been working at a uh, local 
Yamaha dealership for a summer. And so I made some money there. And then I had just the odd summer job and, and just little odds and ends here and there just to obviously try and keep some money coming in. And, and Darcy actually finished. She graduated. So she was still in school for a whole mm-hmm. other year. The yeah, first- the first season we filmed, I was still in grade 12. I remember I remember even having to back out of one of my final exams because I had to go recover a bear the next morning. <laughs> so I didn't go over very well because I was trying to explain that we're, we're doing something very important and we're trying to film a TV show and the teacher probably thought I was crazy too at the time. But anyways, um, yeah, as soon as I were, the first season, I guess I was still in school, but then right after that, I did start working right away and I still work at the same place. I work for um, Cooperators Insurance. So okay, so I've worked, I've still work full time, yeah. Okay, so somebody was bringing money in while Dana was running around uh, chasing this idea for on behalf of the two of you. Was that kind yeah, of the plan? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> so you go ahead and you've got camera equipment. Okay, so tell me how you block out 13 episodes. Like, what, what did you guys, like, how does that come together? At the time, we had no idea how to storyboard anything. We had no idea how to script anything. Like, we had a, no knowledge of anything. We just... <laughs> thought we knew how to hunt. We went out and we filmed as much as we could and we filmed way too much useless stuff that never made it to TV and like you know now once we've learned you know the stuff that you actually can film that's going to make it to TV and you can kind of cut out all the filler that isn't going to and but at the time we had no idea we were just filling memory cards up every day and, and filming as much as we could and and we just assumed at the time that it was all about kill shots and it just you've got to if we wanted 13 episodes, we had to kill at least 13 animals, and mm-hmm. and it was a, a real struggle. But I will say that that was probably that first season was probably our luckiest season we've ever had. It's just again, everything didn't fall in our lap. We worked our butts off for it, but we definitely got very lucky and, and just went out and figured things out, hunted some animals that our families had never even hunted before. And just went and hunted, I guess. And yeah, we went out and killed an elk that year. We had never been elk hunting. We went out, called an elk in, and killed it with a bow. And still to this day, should have never killed that elk. That elk just just walked in right into our lap, and, and we had no idea. Yeah, no idea what we were supposed to do, and we just thought elk hunting was easy after that. And, uh, <laughs> with, with mule deer, I had never never hunted a mule deer before, and we drove all the way up north and killed a mule deer with a bow and arrow, and we just figured it out essentially that we had beginner's luck i guess you could say a lot of beginner's luck i mean nothing we weren't killing giant animals we were just you know shooting what we could could get our hands on at the time and then there were some respectable animals but definitely so we weren't killing any animals so other than that bear that, that got you into this what was the first hunt you filmed what was the first animal you took um it would have been bears again i guess and then and then elk. We got elk, mule deer that season. And I went kill. end of August. I went up north and killed a mule deer. Actually, with Darcy's brother, came up to film and another buddy. They were probably fifteen at the time, and I pulled them out of school, and they came up north for a week with me. And really, <laughs> You're a great influence, Dana. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Darcy's missing final exams to pull a bear. Yeah. <laughs> so, so okay. we killed them. We killed a mule deer end of August. I think it was like August. 28th or something like that because the season opened on the 25th up there and then came home and we went elk hunting and I killed an elk with my bow on the 15th of September and then shot 
We didn't get a moose that year, but then I believe we got white tails. Yeah, we killed a bunch of white tails. I think Corey and I both killed white tail with our bows, maybe in the bush, which to this day are still some of the only bush white tail we've ever killed with our bow. Just shows you how lucky we were at the time because if you spend any time hunting white tail in the bush, mm-hmm. you'll yeah. know that it's essentially a waste of time doing it with a bow. But here we were the first year with our bows, and somehow we managed to kill them. Not because we were good, but just because we were plain lucky. I actually have a funny story. So when we started filming um, for white tail season, Dana and Corey had the camera and they stuck me in a tree stand just to sit by myself without a camera because they figured there was no way I would shoot something by myself. <laughs> so they had the camera in the other tree stand and that morning they had told me that if I shot something to shoot three more times in the air so that they would know that I got something. No cell phone service. And yeah, no cell phone service. Um, so anyways, that morning, a really nice deer had walked by. It was, I think, a nice four by four. And for some reason, I decided to pass on it. And then not too long later, at about 11 in the morning, a really nice 5x5, five five, or 6x5, or yeah, he had a split, um, walked in and just really good luck, I guess. I shot him. And so that day, that deer never did get filmed because Dana and Corey actually had the cameras in the other two stand and didn't get anything. We had been sitting for like <laughs> a whole week straight every day. And then we bring her up there because it was the weekend. And so we brought her up on Saturday and we just stopped her in a tree stand on the way to ours and we're like well you might as well come and sit and we were sitting there we were seeing a bunch of deer where we were at but we just couldn't kill anything and then she came up for you know the one day and literally within a few hours she killed this really good deer and and I just remember sitting in the tree stand because I didn't have cell phone service where I was but she would have had where she was and for some reason at like 3 or 3.30 in the afternoon it was just about starting to get dark um a text message came through on my phone and I remember just saying all it was was got one with a smiley face as if it was no big deal and I just remember I laughed but then I was kind of angry because I'd been sitting and freaking my butt off for a whole week and here we take her and drop her off for a few hours and she just gets one that easy and, you and I think to this day that might be was it is that my biggest white tail still or did I get one bigger that's probably your biggest white tail I think that white tail is one of my biggest ones but that was actually the fall before we actually seriously filmed the first season we started that year. yeah it was kind of it was all our first season kind of got filmed oh, over a little bit it was like time. a year and a half for our yeah. first season okay so out of curiosity we filmed, sorry we go ahead that, we filmed that bear hunt in the spring of 2011 and then we hunted a little bit in the fall of 2011 I was guiding pretty heavily in fall 2011 just as a way to subsidize some income as well and filming in between so we filmed as much as we could in the fall of 2011, and then spring of 2012, we hit it really hard, and then fall of 2012, we hit it really hard, and then the first season went to air in 2013. Yeah, so spring of 2012, we hunted bears that we filmed for the first season, Yeah, because I remember that was the year that I graduated, and I remember studying for final exams in the spring in the tree stand. I would bring my, my books up <laughs> to the tree stand, and Dana actually has footage of me studying, because I was a really heavy studier and yeah I was doing homework in the tree sound essentially mm-hmm. it was quite funny it was actually in the first fair episode we ever um, mm-hmm. aired I, I actually think I recall that um, so but, <laughs> but to get 13 kill shots you can't uh, that's you, you would be hard-pressed to do that in Alberta with two of you so at what point oh, yeah. wh- what point do you start saying hey we're gonna need some other people on this program otherwise we're not gonna get enough content that was the hard part for us because 
like so obviously our good friend Dakota that had started filming and was in that bear that bear video on YouTube. He was the one that shot the bear. Um, he was involved a little bit, but then he started working and got really busy, didn't have a whole lot of time. And, and at the time, Corey and I actually weren't very close. We didn't get along very well. And so we hardly talked. And that was the older was brother, younger older. brother stuff. Yeah, he was older. And so we just never really got along. He was living a different life than I wanted or that I was doing. And so he was doing his own thing and I was focused on the show and trying to, to do our own thing. And, but then we eventually, he kind of started to see what we were doing and, and how we were doing it and took an interest to it. And we slowly started kind of mending that relationship and becoming friends. And, and then he just kind of jumped right in on board with us. And, and so the first year, 2000, the first really serious season of 2012, he said he wanted to be a part of it. So he essentially got designated as, as the cameraman that year. And he pretty much filmed 80% of that first season for us. Wow. And that was his, his way of showing that he was committed and he did a good job with it. So at what point does Jeff come on? So Jeff actually was, I want to say our second season. I don't know. You guys probably don't even know this, but we had our first season, um, Clay and Michelle Roberts were actually a part of it. They were from Grenfell, 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 Saskatchewan. Yep. Yeah. And so I was actually partnered up with them on it. And, because Clay had some history with outdoor television and, and yep. I had met up with him and got to know him really well. We became really close friends. And so they actually joined our show for the first season. But I mean, Clay and I are still good friends. It just wasn't a good fit for our style of the show. And he had other obligations going on. And, and so we had essentially found Jeff and Missy on Facebook of all things. It actually, I didn't even find him. I got sent their contact information by another mutual friend on Facebook just telling me to check them out and I reached out to Jeffrey and got to know him a little bit and Jeff and Missy joined us for the second season. And were were you looking at just his content like his photos and stuff online or was he filming self-filming hunts etc? He had actually just taken out his camera so Jeffrey was a photographer by trade essentially like him and Missy they still photograph weddings and so he's always had really good digital cameras and you know that was when DSLRs were starting to output videos and so he was playing around with that and he just went out for oh I want to say maybe a weekend or two and filmed Missy hunting mule deer just with his DSLR just playing around just for fun and they got some really nice creative stuff and I mean you could just tell by looking at it that there was some natural vision and some natural talent there and so I reached out and asked if they'd be interested and they were, they were, and we just started a, a good friendship, and we've been best friends ever since. So you guys start, so you're filming, and then you get, let's go backwards just a little bit. So you, you finally come up between uh, yourselves and everyone. You get 13 episodes, 13 kill shots in 13 episodes, and, and you, you kind of you, you bring some friends along from the ride. So you got 13 episodes. Okay, we bake this cake, and then you send that into uh, Wild TV, and then they... But that's not it. I mean, because I mean, I know that there's a price of admission. So now you got 13 episodes. So what's the next step to get that on air? So I think TJ kind of touched it on his podcast with you guys when we talked with him. But a lot of people don't realize that outdoor television and majority of television in general is kind of a pay-to-play type game. So if you're willing to pay the money and if you have content that meets the restrict or the requirements 
they will let you on unless they really don't agree with it or they see an issue with it. But if you can get yourself a CRTC number, especially in Canada, and you're willing to write them a check, they will, you can have a show on TV. And so I put together our elk hunt into a pilot episode, essentially. And I remember driving to Edmonton and I sat down with Kelsey Edmonton at the time. He was the director of programming and we watched it together and, and he liked it. And he kind of showed me or told me what I needed to change. And, but overall he liked it enough where if I was to make a few adjustments and all the other episodes looked like it, then he would air our show. So he gave me a, a letter of intent to broadcast at the time, which is essentially your ticket saying that, you know, if you meet the requirements, you're going to be on TV at this time. And that was our ticket to now go out and start talking to sponsors and start trying to sell and raise the money needed to pay for this airtime. And so we had a, a letter saying that we were going to be airing at this time. And we had to start pounding the pavements and trying to find some, some sponsors willing to partner with us and try to pay for it because it was very expensive at the time. How receptive were sponsors to you being a young guy, young girl saying, Hey, we're going to go on TV and we're going to kill shit. How, how was, how did that look? How did that conversation go? <clears throat> industry sponsors and like hunting industry sponsors were a complete no go. I don't know. We may have had APA bows at the time that came mm-hmm. with us. And even uh, Vortex actually did partner with us that first year too, but that was just simply because of Clay. Clay had a relationship with Vortex, but he was able to reach out and get us a product deal with them. And other than that, our entire show for the first season was essentially funded by local businesses, oil field companies. And, you know, at the time, oil field was booming here and there was lots of oil field companies that were just supporting, you know, local kids and they had no problem writing it off and, and writing us a check to put their logo on TV for them. And that was, without them, we would have never made it. And, you know, it was for several years that the local MD of Bonneville has always helped us out. They've always supported us. Um, and local businesses like Poacher's Corner. And then a lot of the oil field stuff until we had enough background and enough history that we could actually go out and talk to industry sponsors and say, look, we're actually going to do this for more than one year and we know what we're doing. And then slowly they started to take a chance on us. But at the beginning, age was our biggest challenge. I mean, nobody would take us seriously when you looked at a couple of kids that you know, said we were going to go on TV and tell everybody how they needed to hunt and which product they should use. They all just looked at us and said, nobody's going to listen. So is that, but so has that become a roadblock though? I mean, it's a roadblock, but how do you sell through that? So are you saying, do you come to them and say, Hey, here's a, like a, some kind of a DVD or here's what, here's a sample of our episode. Take a look and, and see what you think of this elk episode. Or is it like, are you going in there saying, you know, like, you know, you know, me as a car salesman saying, Hey, listen, (laughs) like people will watch this show and they're going to buy your shit. Like I'm, I'm telling you, people will absolutely buy your stuff after they watch this really cool elk episode. Like, what's your approach to get a, a sponsor to, you know, to, 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 to take the hook? The first couple of years, I mean, anybody that knows me, I'll be the first one to tell you, I am a terrible salesman. I can't sweet talk anybody. I don't want to try and convince something, somebody to give me something that you know, it isn't worth what they're paying. And the first year was more like just, pandering for handouts essentially we just went to these oil field companies and said this is what we wanted to do and can you help us out and and a lot of them were 
were willing to do it, not necessarily because they believed we were going to sell anything for them. They just did it to help us out. And, you know, we'd be forever grateful for, for a lot of them. They, we couldn't have done it without them. So that gets you through season one. So the, so then do you start to develop a little bit of a sales pitch at that point? Are you guys kind of cobbled yourself together after season one's like, okay, well, we got, you know, these guys got us season one. But if we're going to do this again, it's like I still got to pay and play. So now we got to get some some stability. Like is, when you said Vortex came on, does Vortex come on and say, here's some money or Vortex come on and says, here's some gear? Um, so what's the what are those relationships? Because you have... You have different commitments for different sponsors, right? You got you got gear yeah. that you wanna you get you wanna get, and you gotta pay for airtime too. So, um, the first year, so Vortex was just strictly a product sponsor. It was kind of here's some gear, see what you can do. And uh, I remember at the end of that season, they sent out a big email to what I was told was all of their shows that they were sponsoring, and they were just letting everybody know that they were doing a complete reevaluation. They were going to be cutting back on a lot of different shows and just keeping a few others because they were, you know, allocating funds elsewhere. And, and I remember writing Vortex an email, basically just begging them for one more year, just to, you know, let us show you what we can do because we only ended up getting their gear after half of the season was filmed, I want to say. And so, you know, half of our episodes didn't even have their gear in it and it just wasn't a fair trial for them. And I remember, pleading with them to just, you know, we'll just give us one more year. We'll show you what we can do and we won't charge you for it. And, and I couldn't believe, but they actually did stick with us. And then from there is when we really started to grow it. And I mean, Vortex has been an absolute treat to deal with. They're, they're as far as I'm concerned, one of the best run companies in Canada. I absolutely love the, both the products and most importantly, the people that run it. They're very good human beings and, you know, without them, we definitely wouldn't be where we are right now either. So then you you, you kind of, you wade your way through the that whole sea of sponsorship and trying to court people. You get some people that have been, I mean, the municipal, uh, like uh, Bonneville has been with you guys for a while. Um, who's the, it's it's top, who's the, the, the construction company that's been with you guys for a long uh, time? Top bridge, top bridge Construction, Garth Ganser, his name is, and he's a local fellow from Lloydminster that I had met years and years and years ago at a hunting camp when I was guiding, actually. And it was kind of the same thing. We got to know each other. And and I remember when he left after his hunt, he came up to me and told me that, you know, if you ever get this hunting show off the ground, reach out. I'll help you out. And that was essentially, so a couple of years in, I reached out to him. and He's been there ever since. And, yeah. Yeah, he's been fantastic for us. I couldn't thank him enough. And, and so he was actually the one that, bought and owned Tory River Outfitters and so that was why uh-huh. okay. so that was the connection there and so we went and helped him out with that and, and it was a, a way to help him with uh, the outfitting company when you guys get to the end of season one after you, you, you do it all you get the sponsor uh, you pitch them uh, after I mean you had the it was Helgi that you met with that uh, was the first one to kind of green light your episodes right Okay, so then you get this whole season in the can, you pitch, so now you take it to them, and then, like, what are the notes, like, what are the takeaways at the end of season one? What are they, could they come to you, like, I know he gave you some primers on, make your episodes all look like this. To get to get to season two, um, was there like, okay, so, you know, as long as you continue to, to, to produce this kind of content, 
with these, you know, um, and you've got X amount of dollars of, of uh, sponsors, you're good for season two. Or was there another hoop or something else you had to change, shift, adjust, uh, complete? As a, did they give you a list of these? We need these things for season two. Was there a, I know um, TJ had sort of implied in his episode that you needed to, you know, it was Wacom and Stackham television when he first got in. And that was, that, that was kind of what they were looking for. So was that part of what they were, what they were giving you as feedback for episode for, pardon me, for season two or to get season they never two? Really, they never really gave us a lot of feedback. The, the only thing that they were worried about was one, that you paid your bills, two, that you were getting a CRTC number from the, uh, the government because they needed that. And essentially the only other metric they cared about was that you weren't getting a ton of angry hate mail sent into wild TV asking them why they're airing your show. And as long as you basically had a good reputation with the viewers and people weren't complaining about your show, then they would essentially air it. Um, to this day between wild TV and now sportsman's channel, we've never really been given a direction or a suggestion of how we should produce our show. The evolution of our show from day one, from season to season has always just been internal. It's just been our own progression on wanting to get better, wanting to learn different techniques and wanting to continue to grow and push ourselves and push where the show is at. It's, it's always been internal and it's just been uh, for our own sake. We could have essentially produced a replica of season one if we wanted to. And I'm sure the network would have happily taken it from us. So what, what, so when you, what changed when you when you because from season one to season two I've I've been watching your show since you guys came out and there's a definite evolution in how and how the program has changed but like what were the things when you look back on season one like was there anything you went like oh man that was terrible like what's your is there a is was there something you said I don't want to do this anymore or we need to state change this or you know we should do more like what were the what were the things were they just nuances was it you looked at some of your episodes and said that was garbage or that was really good or we should do more of that. Did you have a sense of like, you know, what your style was um, at that moment or was it still evolving? We had absolutely no idea what we were doing. And I guess something that's kind of a little funny is we never really looked back at our show and said, we don't want to do this anymore. I mean, anybody that knows me knows right now, like, I have yet to watch one of our new episodes that just came on air since the beginning of July because I cannot watch my own show. Like when it comes on TV, if we go to Darcy's house, like her family, or if we go anywhere and people want to sit down and watch the show, I have to get up and walk away from the building or out of the room. Like I can't sit down with a group of people and watch my own show. I, it just really bugs me. And is it because you put too much it. work into it? Are you, are you, is it the feedback part you're worried about? Like you don't want to see somebody like roll their eyes or or laugh no, or say, this is brilliant, Dana. Like, you don't want any of that? It's just, I think, because I've watched it a hundred times already. And and as an editor, I mean, anybody could sit down and watch their own work. And every time you watch it, you can find something that you wish you would have done differently or something that you want to change. And so when I submit an episode to the network, I feel like it's 95% done where I want it to be. But if I was to sit down and watch it on TV... I would find a handful of things that I wished I would have done differently. I wish that I would have changed. And then I get mad that I submitted it without changing them. And, and yeah, so I just like, I can't watch our latest stuff that came out. 
I don't know if you could pay me to sit down and watch our first season ever again because I just <laughs> I would pull my own hair out. It, it would drive me insane that you know we actually aired some of that stuff. I always do enjoy watching what Dana puts together though, because over the years, and I'm sure you can say the same thing if you've been watching us from the beginning. Just Dana editing, like Dana's editing skills, have very much evolved over the years. Oh yeah. Um. It has a lot to do with the way we film things now and the different cameras we have and stuff too, but Dana's work alone has definitely evolved and he has become very talented with it. They had nowhere to go but up because we had absolutely no skill when I started, so it, was, it couldn't get any worse. It had to go up at some point. So. When, when you guys were, when you, as you've gone along and you've been developing your show, have there been other programs that, that have inspired you or influenced the way that you either shoot um, shoot uh, the hunting components, or just you know, purely from a cinematographic. Uh, I, I guess a cinematographic. Is that is that the word? Uh, cinematography. Cinematography. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm just trying to. I, I, cinema something. Cinema something. You know, cinnamon, yeah. cinnamon buns. Does it look pretty? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but is is yeah. but are, but what are the influences? What are the what are the things that have started to shift the way that you 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 put your stories together? Like has storytelling changed as well? I know visually, it it to me both have changed. But where do you get that influence from? Or is it just an evolution, you know, part of what Darcy was saying? You know, you get better camera technology, better editing technology. Um, but I don't think it's, to me, I don't. I think it's more than that because storytelling is certainly different. Um, and there is definitely a different, there's a nuance in the, in the visual uh, texture of your, of your program that's different too. I, th I think I know where you're going. Did you change due to your own devices and your own thought process? Or did somebody that you, you watched inspire you? I would say a lot of the inspiration came comes from outside of our own show and actually outside of our own industry. Okay. Um, you know, I spent a ton of time just researching and learning different camera techniques and, and watching different YouTubers and, and all kinds of different media. And a lot of the stuff that I've tried to implement has come from outside of our industry or you don't see a lot of it inside of our industry. Some of the top shows, Ray's Hunting, um, some of the really high-end American shows, they started implementing it, um, Heartland Bowhunter, and, and so I've always looked up to them. The storytelling side of it was always 100% driven by Cody and his show. Um, I remember, like TJ had said, years ago, hunting television was just dominated by Wackham and Stackham, and I remember when I got Wild TV, Cody's was probably one of the only shows out there that actually told a story and that was what captivated me as just a viewer and I loved watching the show because of the story that he told and I always knew that if I was to ever start a show I wanted to tell a story somewhat similar to his or the way that he does it and so that aspect of our show definitely came from from watching him and and to this day I've always looked up to Cody and you know even now that we're good friends he's definitely always been a big influence for me and I, I still love watching your show. His is about one of the only ones that when I have time, I will actually sit down and, and just thoroughly enjoy watching. So, so you, do, do you both still watch other, are there other programs that you guys watch regularly? Well, I don't think our TV has been on since probably the end of March, if I had to guess. So we haven't, <laughs> we don't have time to watch a whole lot of TV. I, I imagine TV when you're making it, you don't have time to watch it. So <laughs> no, yeah, Donnie and I've had that. Not. Donnie and I've had that very conversation many, many times when we were driving the roads about the hunting content that we enjoy the most to watch, or the ones that tell a story, as as you touched on. And 
some of the best shows I watch are the ones where there's no kill involved because there's so much more to it than the kill. And that's what I really, really appreciate seeing that sort of content. Yeah. And that's what our whole show is essentially based on work. It essentially is derived from like kind of the way we live too. Like we just like to tell our story and we're just real people and we're out there enjoying like what there is to offer. And we just like to share that and share our experiences and we're out there making memories together and enjoying life. And like, that's what we kind of like base it all on. So I would say that we're not like we're we're part of the smaller percentage of hunters out there. Like we don't we do things a little bit differently. We usually take the hard routes and and honestly, killing an animal is the single hardest part about what we do. Like neither of us enjoys it. it we really both struggle with it. And that's why we'd rather tell a story. And if we don't have to kill an animal, we won't. But I mean, obviously, if we do, it, it's part of it and we're thankful for it. But we don't want to just drive around and, and stack up a bunch of animals, right? It's, it's very important. And when we make the decision to actually take a life, it's a big decision and it weighs heavily on us. And, and that's why we want, we believe that that animal, the story should be told and, and the history and everything that goes into that adventure is, you know, if we're going to take that animal's life, the least we can do is share that story with everybody. Yeah. And some of the, and honestly, like some of the, some of the best memories and best trips that we've shared together. I mean, our trips that we haven't harvested anything on, mm-hmm. and we've honestly learned the most from those trips for yeah. future things because of those. No, absolutely. I've said it many times. The best hunts I've ever been on, nothing has died. So yep. it's, it, it, it's great. Donnie and I went out a couple times this year, and we, we drove by and walked by and stocked up on countless animals, and we, we, we just stood there and just watched. And are you going to shoot? No. Or are you going to shoot? No. We're just going to watch this for 20 minutes, half hour. And uh, we, we chatted about it on, on an earlier podcast where uh, Mark Newdorf, Don and I, we were drinking coffee and tea first thing in the morning. And there was a bear at 600 yards, then 500 yards, and then 400 yards. And we're looking at each other going, oh, that's a great bear. Yeah, it is. And nobody reached for the rifle. And it got, we drove up to, what, 30, 40 yards before it yep. walked in front yep. of us. And, and then uh, it kind of buggered off into the bush. And it was like, oh, well, maybe one of us should have got out. No, yeah. no, it was just fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, we, I, and that's it's the it's the fact that you can just enjoy the moment. One of the things that you guys have put into your program that I really like, um, I have seen some serious moments of frustration with both of you. Yep, where where <laughs> things don't come together. Uh, there's a there's a couple of episodes. There's been tears. What's that? There's been tears. <laughs> yes, there's been tears. I didn't I didn't want to say that, Darcy, but yes, there's been tears. <laughs> There's been happy tears and frustrated tears. Yeah, it's a frustrated <laughs> tears, but I think that's the that's the part that I really like about it. You know, sometimes you watch uh, hunting television and it is success after success after success, and what they miss is the fact that that's really not how it plays out. And I know that because you guys are, I mean, as we talked about at the very beginning of the podcast, um, you will you can single out an animal. It's like, hey, listen, I'm I'll be okay if we get this one on film, but it's this one or it's nothing. And, you know, if, when, particularly when you guys go in, into mule deer, uh, your mule deer hunts, there's a lot of hours and a lot of stalking and a lot of time spotting that you guys put in. And to watch you guys get in and some of the some of that footage is just spectacular. Watching you get, you know, within 20 or 30 yards and then the deer doesn't stand up or you get busted or winded. And looking at the disappointment on any of, any of the, the, the cast members' face when that happens, um, I can... <laughs> I can feel the heartache on the screen. I'm totally there with you. So I, I, I think it's mule really, really deer, cool. 
Mule deer is just an emotional roller coaster rack. It's super early mornings, late nights, and super high highs, and then super low lows, and, and a lot of miles. A lot of miles, and just it's it's the ultimate emotional roller coaster. Like you can be on top of the world, and then the next thing you know, you just want to cry. It, it's so mentally exhausting. So let, let's talk a little bit about that. One of, one of the questions I wrote down is is um, how does having your own show affect or change the experience of hunting for either of you? Is it is it tough to go in the field with the pressure that you need to produce something? And how often outside of filming do you guys ever get a chance, I mean, to, to hunt for yourselves? We're, okay, we're going to go out, we're going to hunt. And I mean, are you in a position where you can afford to go and do a hunt where there's no camera work involved, where you can just go and enjoy it? Um, I don't think we hunt at all anymore without, so I guess, that's a lie. There was one year where I actually pegged out early and the boys were still hunting and I, I got to go with, with my grandpa and, and some family hunting on their annual trip. And it was, it was weird to not have the camera with me. I, I really wanted to. And I think I actually brought it with me. Yeah, but I just told you to go out there and enjoy <laughs> But it was very weird to not, yeah, be, be like forcing my, or not forcing myself, but just be filming everything and whether it's the stuff in camp and, and everything it was, but it was almost a refresher too, I guess, to, to just sit and enjoy the moments with my cousins and stuff there. But I think it'd be really hard for us to, to just hunt something without filming it now. Cause we do like to reminisce on, on our adventure. Like it's some stuff. It is nice to sit back on the computer afterwards and, and watch what we experienced or be able to watch the kill shot. If we are able to harvest something and, stuff like that i don't think i've been on a hunt in probably seven or eight years without a camera or without some kind of a pressure just a, a fun do-it-yourself hunt i can't recall a single one would you yeah, ever do that would you guys ever do that would you guys have to fly out of the country and go so but i mean if you flew somewhere you'd be like well there's no way we're going and not filming this shit so like would, it's, it, kind of, it's become i guess part of our job in that sense because if you're going to hunt something you might as well have the camera there because you can capture your experience to share with everyone so it would not be a waste i guess but you you it's just part of the job yeah, yeah it's part of the job i guess to catch everything you have to think we've essentially been hunting with the camera for quite a few years longer than we've really been hunting without it like yeah. we've, we've spent more of our hunting career with a camera and behind a camera and in front of a camera than just doing it on our own. So it's just become a part of who we are. Does, yeah, does, does, that take, does that in any way take away from the enjoyment of it, I suppose? A hundred percent. I hate, I hate <laughs> to say it, but <laughs> I hate to say, like, yeah, like the hunting side of it. I mean, like this time of year right now, honestly, is the worst because right now you scroll through social media and you sit down and relax and every single person on your timeline is posting pictures of them out shooting their bow and counting down the days till deer season. And you know, everybody's so exciting for hunting season. And I just get extreme anxiety every time I see those posts because it's like, I wish hunting season was six months away still because I'm nowhere near ready for it. And I don't get to look forward to it. I just get thrust right into the middle of it. Oh, then like come the end of August, it's like, all right, I need to pack my stuff and go. I'm nowhere near ready, but we need to do this again. We're out of time, right? And and so I definitely feel a lot of anxiety surrounding it, and I don't get to look forward to these things as often as I used to before. And that takes a lot of it away from me, for sure. So when you're... Oh, sorry, Darcy, what was that? 
I just said, but we still love it. Like we still do it because we love it. When I look at it, it's, like, it's hard to explain, I guess. You asked why we do it for a living or why I do it for a living. I still sit back and say, even on my worst days where I'm totally fed up with it and I don't want to do it anymore, I sit back and I think that to this day, I've still never found another job where I could tell myself that, you know, I would be happier doing that or I would enjoy it more doing that job than the one I'm doing right now. And so it kind of puts it back into perspective for me that I am very fortunate to be able to do what I do. And, you know, even when I don't like it, it's still better than the alternative. So, so it's a job you truly love, but like everybody else, you just don't like looking forward to getting up and going to work type thing. No, I don't mind that aspect of it. Um, I, I Same thing, like I keep going back to the whole NHL hockey player equivalent. You know, anybody that's in the NHL will tell you that they absolutely love playing hockey every day, but most of them hate the travel schedule. Most of them hate right. the time away from family. Most of them hate the photo sessions and all the other obligations that go on behind the scenes and the, the sponsorship and the endorsement and, and all of the other stuff that comes with being a hockey player. It's, I, I kind of equate it to that. I hate the sales side of it. I don't thoroughly enjoy the editing part of it, but you know, once I'm out in the field, there's nothing that I'd rather be doing than out there hunting and filming and producing content. It's okay. just there's certain aspects of gotcha. the job that I just like. And, but I, I firmly believe that there isn't a job for anybody on the planet that they enjoy every single aspect of it 100%. I think no matter what you're doing, there's going to be parts that you dislike and, and you just have to do those as best as you can, but while enjoying the parts that you do enjoy. Because it, it, it's interesting, because, it, I mean, you have made your avocation um, your vocation, and a lot of people that are listening to this, myself included, there was a time where I thought, man, the, the best job on the planet would be, you know, being on hunting television. You know, at some point in my life, um, you know, I remember thinking that would be cool, and I never had the balls to to pursue it at all. And I think this podcast is going to be as close as Stephen I ever get. <laughs> but, but, um, but the, the other, the other thing about, I, I remember um, not that long ago, listening to Steve Rinella just in, in a preamble on an episode. And he was saying that he was at a wedding. And one of the things that him and some of the people on the mediator, he said, you know, you, you get to, you know, I'm at a wedding and whatever. And he said that the one thing I struggle with, he said, cause I do this for a living is when, people meet you and it's like, okay, you're a celebrity and I watch your show and then they want to come up and they want to do the Rolodex. Like, let's, I'm going to show you all the animals <laughs> in my phone. And he's like, I just, I'm not wired that way, man. He said, I just, I, I, I don't want to have that nothing personal. I just don't want to have that conversation. Right. It's like, I do that for a living. I do. I, yeah, I like hunting and, but don't make me hate it here at this wedding. Right. You know, it's, it's like you and yeah. I, when, uh, when we, we had conversations over the last couple of years, I'm like, Oh, so that, that Camaro was pretty kick-ass and that, that it's pretty kick-ass. You're like, eh, it's just a car. Yeah, cars are cars. Cars are cars are cards to you, right? Yeah. But not not to the guys that are on the outside. So I guess I guess that's the the delineation we got going on here. So one of the things though, I I, I wanna I, I gotta ask, biggest temper tantrum either of you have ever had filming an episode? I'm dying to know. Oh, I was about to caught look at on you. film or otherwise. What's your biggest meltdown moment that you're like, uh oh, I have had it with this shit. I'm I'm fed up and I'm not gonna take it anymore. That's about six times a year yeah. in the fall, yeah. It happens quite often. A lot of elk hunting, definitely some mule deer hunting. Definitely not on camera. <laughs> Have you ever usually, caught it on, on camera? Way back, usually on the way back to the bikes or on the way back to the truck or, yeah. 
have you the one thing that from the beginning we've always been very cognizant of is the fact that usually you're wearing a wireless microphone so even when you want to throw a temper tantrum like if we storm back to the truck by ourselves um you have to realize that there's still somebody that could hear you if you're mud like mumbling to yourself or talking into your breath so we've we've learned that if you're gonna throw a temper tantrum you kind of just gotta do it by yourself or when you're alone not when there's a camera around because <laughs> even though you might not think it's recording we have caught a few things before incidentally and but yeah the actual major meltdowns definitely don't make it on there as soon as that starts going on the old record button gets hit off and boy that the camera away. man after after seven years there's got that'd be a great highlight reel i'd be an episode like i'd love to know if a if a bow ever got helicoptered across the, those those hills while you're mule deer hunting <laughs> they're, 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 they're staying silent two, i want to say three years ago 2017 when our buddy evan killed that 200 and seven or 209 inch mule deer yeah that was the year that i had missed them with my bow and so i had spent darcy tagged out the first week of september i think and so did Corey. and so that was the one year that i actually had time where i was going to be able to hunt because you know my two major hunting partners were both tagged out so when we had all this time booked in for mule deer hunting it was now all for me right so i was thrilled and i had I want to say I spent five weeks chasing mule deer for myself between like the little bit, probably almost a week of beginning of the month. And then pretty much the whole month of October, I had guys come out and film me hunting mule deer, which is probably more than I've had in the last other four years combined. Right. Yeah. Where yeah. I actually had to focus on myself. And that was the year that we found that big 209 inch mule deer. And I sent an arrow over his back. He completely ducked my string at 37 yards. And I was upset, but that was like the first year that I really had a chance at, and you know, I'd missed and I could live with that. It was my own fault. And, but then following that, the next week I shot under a deer. I actually shot low and clipped him in the opposite arm. It kind of went through his bicep. Like it was just a little flesh wound. It hardly even hurt him at all. And, and so then. I was mad at that because that was only like a 32 yard shot and I was ranging the grass and it was giving me, it must, I think that it gave me a range in front of him. And so when he stood up, I just shot way low and he was way further than I was anticipating. And then we went back like two days later and found him again. And he was like stiff and sore, but he was perfectly fine. And we snuck up again and he stood up at like 28 or 29 yards even. And I pulled back and I shot, and to this day, I still cannot tell you where that arrow went or where it hit. I don't know if it went high, low, left, right, or to the moon. I just, <laughs> he didn't react, and he ran away, and he went a little ways and looked back at me, and then he took off, and it was like, I want to say the last, the second last day of archery season, and that was the closest that my bow ever came from not coming home with me. I was done at that point. It's, it's the bow's fault at that point. <laughs> It was the bow's fault. It had to. I got your back. But I was, that was the most frustrated I had personally been. I just, at that point, I didn't even, I was glad that the season was over because I didn't want to keep going and keep hunting. I felt greedy or I felt bad that I've had all of these opportunities and I've messed it up. That even if the season wasn't over, I probably would have just folded my tag and walked away because I, I just <laughs> didn't have the capacity to do it again. I didn't trust myself to go in there and put myself in another situation where I could either miss or, or wound a deer or something. And so I just, 
I was mentally done. That was the worst one for me. Well, now that Dana has opened his heart and soul to us there, (laughs) it's your turn now, Darcy. What's your story? Oh, I I honestly don't know. I have to think about this. I should have been thinking the whole time there. Elk, there's, there's been there's, more meltdowns. Elk and mule deer have been my biggest meltdowns for sure. Well, I guess white tail too. I've had, I honestly have had some pretty long streaks with almost every species except for bears, where I have hunted very hard and have went seasons without harvesting an animal. And I think the frustration just oh, been there with bears. Starts to, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, um, wear on you. Grow over the years. I don't know. What's my worst? You should ask Dana that question, I guess. <laughs> I probably took it out on him that day. What's that? I said you should probably ask Dana that because I probably took it out took it out on him that day. Come on, come on, Dana. Dana. What is it? <laughs> yeah, what is it? I don't know. I'm trying to think. There's been a few. Well, I was hunting a couple of years ago. I remember I was filming and you were hunting and we went into an area and blew the elk right out. They were barking at us and like they, we had them coming somewhat towards us, the wind shifted and a bunch of cows stormed out of there and they were barking. Mm-hmm. And so I was mad because she was mad and we stormed out of there, jumped in the truck and we drove a couple miles down the road or what we thought. And we hiked into this other area and anybody that has ever hunted with me will tell you that although I'm only five foot six and a half, I walk like I'm six foot four. Like I, everybody really struggles to keep up with me. I've just always Yes, Danny. Danny has mentioned. Yes. yes, Danny's mentioned. Yeah, he me I'm, we, I'm, I'm being slow, but I am walking as fast as I literally can, and he is always way up, way in front of me. I've yet to find somebody that I can keep up, and I don't do it on purpose. But when I get angry or frustrated or stressed My. out, I walk faster. And so these elves were barking at us, and we were running out of light that night. And so we drove through this leaf, and I wanted to storm in there as fast as I could and see if we could find another elf before it was getting dark because. I was feeling bad because this was three or four years since she'd been able to even have an opportunity at an elk. And so I was, the pressure was on for me to try and help her get one. And I stormed in there. I was probably a solid hundred yards, 150 yards in front of her. And we got there and I could still hear these elk barking at us in the distance. And I was, it, it just made me so upset. <laughs> so I turned around and I went to storm back to the truck and we came over a hill and Darcy was probably at that point 100, 150 yards behind me. And I walked over this hill on the leaf road, the same one that we just walked in. And it was probably only a mile walk. We hadn't walked very far. We walked in, immediately turned around, and I walked out and got halfway back. I came over the hill, and there was a great big sow grizzly with three oh, cubs Jesus. standing in the line. And I came over the hill, and she was like 100 yards. And I just, I didn't have a gun. I didn't have bear spray. I didn't have anything. Darcy had all that on her, and she was 150 yards behind. And so I was standing there and I was like, uh oh. And uh, <laughs> oh, no. I yelled at her. Yeah, I yelled at the bear and she stood up and she was looking at us on her hind legs and kind of eyeing us up. And then she got down, went to the side and stood up again. And, and the whole time I'm just thinking, like, she's coming. There's no way. Like, we're within the bubble. She's got three little baby cubs and, and she wasn't a small bear. And I was like, this is it. And then I heard Darcy come running behind me with a gun and she, I could hear her loading it and, and getting her bear spray ready. And so then she gave me the bear spray and she had the rifle. And luckily this bear just, it eyed us up for a few more seconds and then it got down in its four legs and, and she went up the hill into the trees slowly and the cubs followed her and, and we still had to get back to our truck. So she went off the trail to the left and we dipped in the trees to the right and did a massive mile circle around to try and get back to our truck and 
and we made it there. And that was a meltdown that almost led to, you know, a bad situation <laughs> on my part because I had left her behind and I come over the hill and thought I was going to get eaten. Well done. Well done, my friend. It was not a good one. Not a proud moment on my end. All right. So, um, social media, um, how has that changed your, your, your program? Cause it net to, I would I would suggest just knowing kind of how that 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 landscape looks right now. Without it, you're, it's probably hard to continue your program. So now, not not only are you trying to create content and connect with people, you know, through a network. Now you have these other channels that you need to, you know, can, you know, push content. You know, in, in Instagram and and, and uh, Facebook. How significantly has that changed your your business? Well, the first thing I'll say about it is that I absolutely despise it. Like, Darcy and I both, anybody who knows us, and I mean, I was going to touch on this at the very beginning too, but anybody who knows us knows that neither of us do it for any of the fame or recognition or to see ourselves on TV or to be recognized in public. Like, we hate being in the public eye. It's the part I hate the most about this job, and... We don't so, like being in the spotlight. We at don't all. like being in the spotlight. We don't want to go on social media and brag about anything. We don't want to have these pages where there's a bunch of people following us because we hate posting stuff. And and <laughs> but we've been forced to try and grow it, and that's actually why. I mean, so Jeffrey manages our social media because I eventually just had to hire it out to him and say, "Look, you're good at this, and you know I'll get you some of the content. You tell me what you need." But I can't physically force myself to go on there and and post once a day or twice a day. I honestly don't even know how often he does it. He takes full control over it because I want nothing to do with it. And and it's honestly an awful thing. Like I should take more of a role in it because it is a very important aspect of our business, but I absolutely hate it. And yeah, like a lot of our sponsors, they've basically taken the importance from the TV side and have moved it over to the social media side. So do you and have to do... Because right now... It feels like we can make some pretty good TV, but we struggle in the social media department. And it's like, well, I wish we, they were focused more on the TV side because I'm confident in our TV making skills, but not in our social media making skills. So the um, when you look at that, now you, now you have sponsors that are looking for product placement, short little video be, uh, things, just ways to continue to have a conversation with their potential a consumer that is attached to your program. So is there a mandate? Like you, you've got some of these uh, sponsors of yours, like me, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Wood Wheaton, it's like, I need to have some content out there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a, every contract is different. Um, every one of our sponsors has different goals with their company and different things that they want to see out of it. And we try to accommodate as best as we can. And, and we try to, work with each individual sponsor but i mean it's a lot we have well we have quite the list of sponsors now and to try and organize it all and, and try to keep everything in line and, and maintain all of those contracts and fulfill all of our requirements on them it's essentially a full-time job in itself and so that's why i had to hire it out to jeffrey and you know we all do as much as we can to help him with it but i mean he spends a ton of time working on the social media side of it so, so you've got the social media side of it, and then the other thing that you guys have to do is, I know that, uh, and you get to the doldrums of winter uh, in the off season. That's not really an off season for you because now you're headed 
to all of the different uh, hunting and fishing shows. So which ones are, are you obligated to attend to make sure that you're doing the right thing for your program? Those are probably easily my least favorite part of the entire hunting TV side of things. I, like I said, I'm not a people person. And so walking into a room full of a bunch of hunting and fishing, other celebrities and other people, that's where I wish that I was six foot three and not five foot six because I walk in that crowd <laughs> and I get completely lost. And, and I'm trying to push my way to the front to talk to a prospective sponsor, to talk to somebody, and I just get pushed out of there. And, and I just, I struggle with it. And so I genuinely don't look forward to the business side of those shows. I enjoy going to the ones in Edmonton and to the other ones where I can sit down and maybe do a presentation and actually visit with fans and, and visit with other hunters. But, you know, the ones in Indianapolis, ATA show, the one in Vegas, SHOT show, those ones are strictly business related and you're going there to have, you know, in-depth business meetings with different sponsors and, you know, current ones and hopefully prospective ones. And I struggle with that situation. It's not my favorite place to be. Darcy, are you along for the ride on those as well? Because, I mean, with you working, how many, how much holiday time do you have? Um, I, I have four weeks of holidays and my um, employers are very, very good with being very flexible for my work. So it's definitely a second full-time job for me. All of my holidays get put towards this second job, hunting, <laughs> trade shows, doing anything, hunting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. Um, I don't take holidays during the summer, really, or anything like that. Um, once in a while, we'll do a, a vacation to Mexico or something. But, yeah, it's pretty much all um, for this job. You got but, yeah, four weeks, but then yeah. they also let you take off with ton of unpaid time yeah they're like i said they're very flexible and they've always been really supportive of, with what we're doing and and they're awesome to work for so that's been a blessing for sure over the years and i've been with them for eight years now so so that's been nice steve and i were talking and one of the things that that people listening um and and tj alluded to this and i know dana you and i've had this discussion a couple of times um so I guess having your own show on Wild TV or on Sportsman's Channel is, uh, I mean, that must be a fast track to being a multi-millionaire, right? That's what I heard. (laughs) You guys got to be loaded if you're on the, the, I mean, you got a hunting show, so you got to be rich, right? I remember when I first started, I don't remember who it was. It might've actually been TJ that told me that the only way to make a million dollars in the outdoor television space is to start with two million. Yep. <laughs> That'd be TJ. Yeah, that sounds like a TJ analogy. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and so it, it's never been something that you do to, to make a pile of money. It's always a grind, and it's something that you do because you love it. And you know, we're both very passionate about it. And we've been fortunate to grow it to a level where you know I can support myself off of it, and and I still subsidize it with other work elsewhere and different. Um, commercial facets and, and different production side of things but I mean we've been fortunate to really be able to focus on it but I mean we're never going to retire off of it we're never going to make a pile of money where we're going to be able to just you know sit back and, and enjoy ourselves at 50 years old it's, it's there's not a pile of money in the hunting industry and there's too many other shows out there that will do what we're willing to do but they'll do it for free you know, right. if I want a potential sponsor to pay me X amount of money and give me all of these bows because I need to promote their stuff. 
another startup show or a show that's doing it not to make money, they're doing it just for fun, they'll go to the same sponsor and say, well, you know, I'll do whatever they were doing, but just give me a discount on three bows, right? Because they they're not doing it to make a living. They're doing it just for fun. And to them, if they get a discount, it's good enough, that's right? That's good enough, and yeah. Yep. It's it completely killed the industry. And so, yeah, it, it's really difficult to get any money out of sponsors and to actually provide value to them. And, and so it's, it's a real struggle. It's not something that you get into if you're hoping to make a pile of money. That's for sure. Well, dang it! I guess that t- I'm out. I, if I if you, if you can't make millions, I'm out. I'm out. And I, I, and I know the podcast uh, is definitely uh, it. It does nothing but cost money. There's no future in this either. But uh, we'll keep doing it. So, so bucket list items. You've you've killed a, a whack load of different species on camera. Is there anything that you haven't killed that you'd want to? I think we're both on the same page when we want to go north. We'd love to go to Alaska or the Yukon, Northwest Territories. We've yet to make it up there. I've been fortunate to, you know, we've been in Africa before. We've been northern Manitoba, right up against the Nunavut border. I've been in northern Quebec, um, all over Alberta, into BC. But the one place that we both always talk and always dream about going is into the Yukon and Alaska and, and checking out those bucket list hunts that, you can only find up there. For me, if anyone watched the most recent episode oh, that yeah. we've aired, though, I have been hunting elk for how many years now? Since <laughs> we started. I think this will be my, I think I took one year where I didn't go on an elk trip because I needed my holidays for other hunts. So I think this was, this upcoming season will be eight years of elk, hunting elk. And some of those years was a 17-day trip straight. Um, and I have still, yet yeah, to this day, have had an opportunity at an elk. And I haven't wounded any. I haven't missed any. I just literally haven't had an honest opportunity at an elk. So every year I say it's next next year. It'll be next year. <laughs> and now it's year eight. So one year I will shoot an elk. Boy, will there be tears when you do it. Yeah. Be, <laughs> I can only imagine. But I will still keep hunting them. Even after all of that, I'll still go. So I would also love to shoot the caribou. Dana, did, um, Dana shot a caribou in Quebec on his trip and then our trip to northern Manitoba, we were able to do together, but we missed the migration. Um, so we, neither of us harvested a caribou on that trip. It was still an awesome experience, though, and it was really nice to see the um, landscape up there and stuff. But, yeah, we didn't harvest a caribou, so I would love to do that at some point. But I think a lot of the rules and regulations are changing with regards to that. So I'm not sure what the future holds for caribou. So when we look at the future, I'm hoping at uh, Dana, we were looking at doing a bear hunt here in BC and then COVID hit and that kind of screwed that up. So I'm hoping that we can get you out uh, for a BC spot in stock next year and uh, try the same thing for spring bear hunt, which would be dynamite. Um, the But w- let's just talk, we're, we're just about ready to wrap up in a, in a couple of final questions for you. So if you look, if you're looking forward, um, what's the future look like? I mean... Like, is there an episode that you that you haven't recorded, like uh, that you really want to get done? Uh, and is that something like filming in Alaska or the Yukon or Northwest Territories? Is that one of those things? And what do you what 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 are you hoping for? How like how long does this continue? Like, how long do you want to continue to produce Fatal Impact? And is there is there a life after hunting television for you guys? Um, the one thing that I've kind of discovered with this whole thing is, and the the thing that I guess I also should have touched at the beginning with all of my teachers in high school and everybody that knew me was that 
I was the most uncreative, uncinematic, un, you know, if I came to taking pictures, I absolutely hated taking pictures. I hated doing any of that. And so I was the last person that anyone would have ever guessed would end up making a career out of, you know, videography and video editing and photography. And, and, but the more that I taught myself how to do it and the more I've learned, I really actually started to really enjoy it and wanting to progress and wanting to grow with it. And I honestly think that if the hunting side of it ended right now, I would really pursue a career in just generic video production, you know, whether it's commercial or whether it's, you know, there is a lot of other work to be had out there in it. And, and I genuinely enjoy it now. And I've said since day one that, you know, fatal impact was likely never going to be the only thing that we ever do or, you know, if, if there was another opportunity to grow and to expand and to leave it behind, I was never so attached to it that we couldn't walk away from it. You know, I would never give up another opportunity just to hold on to what we started. Um, and so every year we're open to, you know, just seeing how things go and, and with TV and social media and the entire industry, the way it's changing, nobody knows where it's going to be in two years from now, Never mind, you know, in five. So we're, hoping to stick with it as long as we can and as long as it's feasible and as long as it, you know, it pays the bills and, and we can continue doing what we do, but we're always looking for other things to branch out into. And, and, uh, I honestly couldn't tell you how long it's going to last, but you know, we obviously want to ride it out as long as we can and as long as it makes sense. So, I mean, unlike the, the, the person that started making this program when you didn't have a plan B, now you're open to, a plan B or something else because you, there's not a the show the show in itself there's not it's not that's the thing that you do for the rest of your life like that the show doesn't define you it's, it's just been a vehicle to develop your creative outlet to nurture your hunting experience but um, you know like you said you, you're you, you you guys have gotten to a place where it's like okay well, we've done this like do you do you feel like I mean you know is there have you thought like, you know, if, if, you know, for at 10 years, do we start to take a look at this and start to decide is, is this something we want to do? Or is there a timeline or is the, is the, are you going to wait for the industry to tell you that it's time or have you guys sort of talked about a, an either a, a timeline or is there a, when would, when would you know, what are the, what's the sign that you, to you that you don't want to do this just when you lose interest or is there something I else? Would, I don't know if you would lose interest. Yeah, I don't think we would lose interest at all. There wouldn't be an expiry date. Like, we've never set something like, you know, after 10 years. We definitely, when we started, you know, we, we said if after two or three or four years, if it wasn't going to work, then, you know, we had to be able to call it quits. And, and luckily, we would be able to meet our goals and our deadlines at the time, and we were able to grow it. And And as long as it stays feasible, I mean, I'm happy to do it. But like you said, the show doesn't really... For neither of us, being on TV isn't at all why we do it. So, you know, if we were to have another opportunity come up where we could make a living doing something that we enjoyed equally as much and it didn't involve us being on TV and being so-called celebrities, that aspect of it wouldn't make us shy away at all. Like, neither of us would be upset about never being on TV again. Like, that's not what's holding us to it for sure. Um, you know, if we could make a living doing something else that we enjoyed and, and something that we love, we would be open to it as well. We've always both been really open-minded. We love 
change. We love trying new things. We love pushing ourselves outside of our comfort zone. And we love challenging each other. And, you know, if, if something came up that scared us, we would probably jump on it as well. And, I mean, I'd be comfortable with that. And same with you, Darcy? Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm here for the ride, so. When you mentioned at the beginning that, you know, there was a person that had no plan B, I think a lot of it was because at that time I also didn't have any skills or we didn't have any anything that could lead to anywhere else, right? But now I think we've developed enough skills and enough reputation and enough know-how where, you know, if something happens, we may we could still make a go at it somewhere else in a different aspect of the industry. And I think we're also getting well-known enough where, who knows, maybe another opportunity will come knocking on our lap and, and you know, we'd have to consider it at that point too. But now we have the skills and we have the basic knowledge and enough experience in the industry that um, we never really know what's going to happen, but we're open to everything. Well, I will uh, continue to be one of your fans. Uh, it's funny, you know, I've got, so now I've had uh, two people who, I, my, as my wife will testify, uh, oh. being becoming friends with Dane on Facebook and actually getting a chance to meet him. And then, of course, TJ, uh, <laughs> it was like big milestones in my life as I'm telling all my, my peeps back in Saskatchewan. It's like, I know Dana White. No, not the UFC guy. And, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, not <laughs> but but it's it's it for me as just a fan of of the program since you guys have been around and you know it's like I I remember watching the first season and thinking Meg these are kids these are kids making this program and uh, here we are later and we're friends and uh, I got a podcast and uh, you know Steve and I are sitting here and Matt and we're yakking to you guys who would have thought uh, keep making uh, great TV thanks for spending some time with us uh, we really appreciate it oh hey woot, Dana I just thought of something uh, I was talking to Dan Martichuk and he said that you've got some international attention on that super cool video footage you guys took when you guys were saving that elk out of that mud wall do you want to speak to that a little bit sure yeah we actually got uh about a month ago, a guy reached out to me from Big Fish Entertainment, and uh, they're a production company out of the U.S., and they're starting a brand new series called Rescue Cam, and it's going to be airing on the A&E network. And so he had reached out to me and, and asked if we would be willing to do an interview and, and send him the footage for it, and I guess they're going to feature that elk rescue on their brand new series, which is going to be pretty exciting, actually. And then the best part was they actually gave me a platform, so we did a Zoom conference call meeting and they filmed it and asked some questions and they, I wasn't sure how it was going to go, but I was actually really impressed with the platform that they gave me. They asked me the hard questions about conservation and they asked me what our thoughts were with the elk being there and how normally as hunters, how we would react to a situation like that. And I mean, assuming that they play it as it was recorded and if they don't chop it up too much and, and twist my words, I'm actually really happy with the way that interview turned out and I think it's going to be a really good platform for just hunters and conservationists in general to get our message out on a really mainstream network and I'm sure we'll get some some uh, backlash from it but overall I think it's going to be a, a pretty exciting thing for not only us but just for hunters and conservationists. Yeah, I, I, it, it's such a super cool piece of footage. I mean, and it got a lot of traction on YouTube. I mean, I, I've seen it a few times. I've actually, it's funny because it's been shared back to me by people that that I know in BC, but um, that maybe don't know that you and I are connected. Uh, I've had it shared back to me by friends in Saskatchewan. 
that again, same thing. They don't, they didn't connect the dots. Um, and I was, I think that was just prior to, cause you guys filmed that how long ago, two years ago. That was the fall of 2017, if you can believe it. Okay, so, oh, wow, it's that long ago. So, yeah, it it would have been before you and I entered into, when we started, uh, like, working with you guys at FIO. So um, I I thought it was funny that it made its way back to me. I mean, hey, I know that guy, and then now I know (laughs) the other guys. So that's super awesome. Okay, well, uh, you'll give us a a heads up when that's coming. Do you want us to, at some point now, do we want to keep that video under wraps and let it go viral, or do you want us to post that up on the Cutbanks conversation and share that around? Um, you guys can definitely post it up and, and get spread the word for sure. I don't know. We don't know the official air date for it. I was told that the series was supposed to premiere in July, but I'm assuming that maybe got pushed back with the whole COVID situation. And they are going to keep me posted on when the series is going to go live and when that particular episode is going to air. So I'm looking forward to watching it. Yeah, us too. Well, thank you. I'm glad we managed to get that in. It was a good thing that uh, it just kind of popped into my mind. So that's awesome. Um, where can they find you? What's, what is the, what's the evening and what's the time slot on sportsman's channel to find fatal impact outdoors? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> as a guy that doesn't watch his show. Don't... <laughs> that's exactly it. Yeah. You're going to have to give me a second here. Jeffrey knows that more than I do. Yeah. How do we find um, you on Facebook? We know you're into that. So we can find you on Facebook, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. So Facebook is, uh, just fatal impact outdoors and then same with instagram it's just your instagram is fatal impact outdoors just just so you know dana <laughs> okay i appreciate that <laughs> so we are um monday at 11 p.m eastern time okay monday sunday, at 11 so that's 8 p.m yep for us in the sunday Pacific. at 3 p.m eastern time okay and so sunday thursday yeah, Sunday around noon. Thursday at 10.30 a.m. Um, Saturday, which would be kind of our anchor spot, it's at 12 a.m. Eastern time, which would be like 10 p.m. our time, 9 p.m. for you guys on a Saturday, which is a really good time slot. And then Thursday at 12 a.m. as well. So same thing. So you got lots of times. Set the PAVR to record. We are taking a look at Season 7 right now. Uh, that's broadcasting, and you guys are in the middle of filming season eight. Uh, I have been super happy through Wood Wheaton Super Center to be a sponsor for Dana uh, going into my second season. Uh, thanks again, guys. It's great to have a couple of friends on and talk a little bit about a really cool journey um, into what uh, is, will be for a lot of people listening. That's been their, that's the dream, that's the aspiration. Now you know there's no money in it. Dana and Darcy took it all. <laughs> so, <laughs> so thanks so much for spending. <laughs> so thanks for spending some time with us here on the Cutbanks conversation. You guys have a great night. Awesome. We really appreciate you guys having us on. It's been a blast. Awesome. Take care. Take care. See you later. Thank you. Bye. 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 Well, there you have it. Dana and Darcy White, Fatal Impact Outdoors. Not UFC. Not UFC. Uh, Maddie, thoughts? That was really fun. You know, we, we kind of have our own challenges when we started up this podcast. You know, I didn't know anything about anything. <laughs> it sounded like they went through the exact same thing. Bunch of YouTube tutorials and reaching out to people. So, you know, it's uh, it's nice to know that, you know, they started from humble beginnings as well. Yeah, humble beginnings. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. That was a great conversation. So uh, great, great. Uh, you know, and I, I it's funny because I remember their first episode and I remember thinking, 
like how old are these people? Twelve? Like they're such they're so young. <laughs> they were so young and they look so young. Well, but, they they were. <laughs> yeah, you know, and uh, and you know, I've had a chance to I've had a chance to to meet Dana in person a couple of times. My wife and I met them in uh, Jasper. Um, uh, I think last year as we swapped vehicles and just uh, just the salt of the earth, like real stand up, just stand up, super normal, completely. There's no affectation. They are exactly who who they come across. If there's they, they are the most genuine people. Um, you know, much like when we had TJ on, just super awesome people. So anyway, we're lucky to have them. Uh, we're lucky to have the great Canadian content. Um, that we have uh, on on Sportsman's channel, you know, whether it's, you know, Shockey or Cody, uh, the late uh, Jason Peterson, um, you know, we've got a lot of great uh, program, the Beasley Brothers, a lot of great Canadian hunting television that's out there and their story craft has, uh, has improved. The cinematography has been lights out and we, and they continue to come up with some great stuff. And so. every, every single one of these Canadian uh, content creators I've met in person, the Beasley Brothers, TJ, Chad Dana, they're, they're all just what you see there there's no uh there's no fronts they're putting up so that's what i really really like about them that's awesome well that's it for us from the hatchery uh in beautiful sunny downtown prince george along the nechaco river freaking freaking hot today prince freaking george. hot today in the shadows of the cut bank so for stevie wonder matt the wonderkind and uh, donnie w uh thanks for listening to the cut banks conversation cheers